Hello and welcome to the Tech Disputes Network's Need to Know Basis podcast series, which offers a convenient way of getting on top of the most important new developments in cases involving issues with a technology angle via short podcasts of approximately 15 minutes in length, presented by the leading experts in the field. These podcasts offer succinct summaries of the key points to note on the topics we all need to know about in a way that takes up as little of your time as possible. This podcast series is brought to you by the Tech Disputes Network, which is a London-based forum for those engaged with contentious technology issues. My name is Mike Cumming-Bruce, and I'm one of the founders of the TDN, which I encourage you to join by registering at disputes.tech to receive information about our upcoming events and initiatives, which are all free of charge. This podcast is about cryptocurrencies, which are no longer the preserve of starry-eyed idealists and dark web ne'er-do-wells, and now very much big business. Cryptocurrency is reported to be the year's highest performing asset class, which with the Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index recording 120% gain from 1st January. While the prospects for its mass market adoption remain uncertain, it's increasingly clear that Bitcoin et al., are destined to play an ever more significant role in the investment portfolios and courtroom battles of the future. However, many aspects of cryptocurrencies pose awkward legal questions, most of which have yet to be addressed in the courts in the decade or so that they have existed. Should you have any clients who might one day put you on the spot for their answers, this podcast which summarises what we know and what we don't yet know about cryptocurrencies from an English law perspective, maybe for you. It's presented by Sam Goodman of 20 Essex. Sam was one of the authors of the legal statement on the status of crypto assets and smart contracts, which is arguably the most authoritative statement on the status of crypto assets in this jurisdiction, and which was described by the Chancellor of the High Court as a watershed for English law. He was also instructed on B2C2 Limited, which uh, resulted in one of the very few judgments concerning cryptocurrencies following a full trial. We're very pleased and privileged to welcome him to present this podcast. Thank you for tuning into my podcast called Cryptocurrencies, What You Need to Know. This podcast series is called Need to Know Basis, and so my podcast is therefore aimed at those who want a fairly quick and digestible introduction to this field. If you would like to discuss some of the more advanced legal issues, such as whether it's possible to get mandatory injunctions against Bitcoin miners in China, then please do get in touch. But this podcast is for people who have perhaps seen all the chatter about cryptocurrencies over the last few years, but haven't yet had a chance to get on top of the basics. The law of cryptocurrencies is a field that, for better or for worse, is becoming more and more important as the use of cryptocurrencies proliferates. Indeed, in a matter of years, Cryptocurrencies have gone from being a tool of criminals on the dark web to in the last few weeks being listed on PayPal's platform. So it appears they're here to stay, and they are already giving rise to some significant legal disputes. With that in mind, the topics that I'm going to cover in around 15 minutes today are as follows. First, what are they? Second, are they property? Third, what relief and remedies might you seek in claims regarding cryptocurrencies? And finally, what are the current issues in the field? So firstly, what are they? One of the barriers to entry when it comes to understanding cryptocurrencies is that it's really quite hard to drill down and understand what the thing that we are talking about actually is. 
If you try and find the answer to this question online, you come across various diffuse descriptions of what cryptocurrency is. And it's easy to get lost in the woods of descriptions about hashes, nodes, mining and data pairs. Almost every definition says cryptocurrencies have some of the following features and then a big list of features. But it's never quite clear which features are supposed to be necessary as opposed to desirable components of a cryptocurrency. So let's go back to very basics and create a cryptocurrency here on this podcast. Imagine a group of friends, and for illustration, let's take the characters from the TV series Friends, want to create their own cryptocurrency. We'll call it Friendscoin. How do they do this? Well, to start, they would have a blank piece of paper where they will record transactions. This is going to be a transaction ledger. And to get going, they would write on the first line the first transaction. Joey transfers 10 friends coins to Monica. Next line, Monica transfers two friends coins to Chandler. Next line, Chandler transfers one friends coin to Ross and so on and so forth. And if you stop and ask at this point, well, what actually is a friends coin? It's simply the lines of data on the piece of paper you have created showing the previous transactions, according to which any given participant in the system, i.e. the friends, have the power to transfer some unspent friend coins that exist on the ledger to another participant in the ledger. So Ross, for example, has the power to transfer one friend's coin to any of his friends because the data on the ledger says that he has one friend's coin available to spend. That's really all you need to know. Cryptocurrencies are simply entries on a transaction ledger of a fictional, virtual, intangible thing that does not exist outside the four corners of the ledger. Okay, in truth, cryptocurrencies are a bit more complex than that for a number of reasons. The three most important differences are that first, with cryptocurrencies, the names on the ledger are not real names like Joey, but are instead a collection of numbers and letters that conceptually work a bit like an email address. You will have heard that referred to, I'm sure, as a public key. Second, in order to transfer cryptocurrency from a particular public key, you need to have what is in effect a unique password. That's another string of numbers and letters, which you'll have heard referred to as the private key. So you have these two strings of data, the public key and the private key, and you need to use the private key to be able to spend from the public key. Third, with cryptocurrencies, your transaction ledger is not a piece of paper. Instead, it's stored electronically, it's cryptographically secure, frequently organized into blocks of data that are chained together. Hence, another term you will have heard of, blockchain. I hope that very fast discussion has illuminated what a cryptocurrency actually is. At its core, a cryptocurrency is a combination of the public data recorded on the ledger of transactions, plus the private data which the user keeps private. My second topic is, are cryptocurrencies property? There's been a lot of writing and discussion about this question, and assuming you are a relative newcomer to the field, I think what you need to know is, why is there a debate about whether these things are property at all, and what are the key authorities you need to be aware of if this issue comes up in your practice? So why is there a debate about it at all? Well, let's start with what we mean by the word property. Strictly, the term property does not describe a thing itself, but instead describes a legal relationship with a thing. It's a way of describing the certain powers which the law permits a person, the owner, to exercise over the thing. And whether something is property or not makes a very big difference. As those listening will know, if a thing is characterised as property, then there's an owner who enjoys proprietary rights. 
those rights being particularly important on insolvency, when creating security interests, or when someone seeks to recover something that has been stolen. Looking at cryptocurrencies, when we wrote the legal statement on crypto assets, it struck us that there were two big obstacles to a recognition of cryptocurrencies as property. The first is that, as we've just discussed, cryptocurrencies consist of data. Fundamentally, they are no more than the public data recorded on a transaction ledger and the accompanying private data in the form of the private key. And there is Court of Appeal Authority, a case called Your Response and Data Stream, arguably to the effect that pure information, such as data in a database, cannot be recognised as property. Now that might be thought to be an insurmountable hurdle for cryptocurrencies, but in fact they can be distinguished from pure information in a number of ways. The most critical being that whilst pure information can be double spent, by which I mean that both you and I can read the same information as spreadsheets, and if you tell me a secret then both you and I know it at the same time, the information or data which cryptocurrencies are comprised of cannot be double spent. True it is that two or more people can see the same entries on the public ledger, but you cannot use or process the information in any way just by seeing that part of it. The information or data is still exclusive to the holder of the private key. They're the only one that can use it. A further contrast is that with pure information, such as a trade secret or a business idea, it's the information itself that is of value. Whereas with crypto assets, it's what the information represents that is of interest. So we were able to fairly confidently conclude in the statement that the fact that cryptocurrencies were comprised of information did not prevent them from being an item of property. The second difficulty that led to some doubt about crypto, whether cryptocurrencies are property is that the English law of personal property has traditionally been divided into two categories. Things in possession, that's things you can physically possess, and things in action, that's things that you can only obtain or enforce through legal action like a debt. And cryptocurrencies do not fit, either, fit easily or at all into either of these two categories. This traditional division appeared to have been recognised by Lord Justice Fry in a case called Colonial Bank and Winnie in emphatic terms. He said, all personal things are either in possession or in action. The law knows no third thing between the two. That was an over to comment that was picked up in lots of textbooks and later cases. And so this led to a potential issue for cryptocurrencies. What to do about something that was neither a thing you could physically possess nor a thing you could enforce through action. Was that thing therefore incapable of being property because it didn't fit into the traditional categories? The answer is that if you trace through the cases, there is no complete rule against a third category of personal property. And indeed, there is in fact support for such a third category from cases in which other intangibles have been recognised as property. I'm thinking of things such as carbon credits and milk quotas. As to what Lord Justice Fry was saying, his judgment was a very narrow decision about whether the shares he was considering were things in action for the purposes of the Bankruptcy Act. It was not a decision about whether the shares were common law property or indeed a decision about the scope of property more generally. So it's not a case that sets down the bright line rule about there only being these two categories of property that it's often thought to have set down. So on examination, neither of these two hurdles is as insurmountable as they might first seem. And in fact, when you go back to the authoritative definition of property rights from Lord Wilberforce in a case called National Provincial Bank and Ainsworth, cryptocurrencies seem to tick all the boxes. 
So Lord Wilberforce said that before a right or interest can be admitted into the category of property, it must be definable, identifiable by third parties, capable in nature of assumption by third parties, and have some degree of permanence or stability. Cryptocurrencies, or at least the well-established ones, have all these things. So the conclusion that we reached in the legal statement was that cryptocurrencies are capable of constituting property. Uh, now, whilst that statement is a lengthy and, and reasoned opinion, it of course doesn't have any legal force. So if you're advising in this area, you need to know what the authorities say, and there's currently two main authorities to know about. First is a New Zealand case called Rusco and Cryptopia Limited, a decision of the New Zealand High Court dated 8th of April 2020. This was a decision of uh, Mr Justice Gendel. And the case was about a cryptocurrency exchange platform that had gone bust, holding some cryptocurrency, and there was a dispute about the ownership of, of that cryptocurrency between the creditors of the exchange, who were arguing that cryptocurrencies were not property, uh, therefore couldn't form the subject matter of a trust and, and should therefore be available to distribution uh, to all of the company's creditors on a pari passu basis. And the account holders, on the other hand, who argued that the cryptocurrencies were property and that they were held on trust for specific account holders and therefore not to be distributed generally to creditors. And the liquidators of the exchange, perhaps understandably, apply for directions from the court to work out what to do. The spoiler is that the court held that cryptocurrencies are property. Mr Justice Gendel said, I find that for the reasons outlined above, all of the various cryptocurrencies, that's the various cryptocurrencies that he was considering, are property within the definition outlined in section 2 of the New Zealand Companies Act, and also probably more generally. There might be some doubt as to those last few words, also probably more generally. Was Mr Justice Gendel limiting his decision to the definition of property in the New Zealand Companies Act? Well, at paragraph 141 of the judgment, he went on to say, I have found above at law cryptocurrencies are property and are able to form the subject of a trust. So it does look like he was making a finding about common law property as well. Uh, but if there's any doubt about that, uh, then what's abundantly clear is that in all of his reasoning, he was relying on the common law concept of property, common law definitions, and in particular, at Lord Wilberforce's definition in uh, Ainsworth. The second case to know about is a case called AA and Persons Unknown. Uh, this is a decision of Mr Justice Bryan in the Commercial Court, dated 13 December 2019. It was a judgment on an ex parte application, so without full argument and, and therefore of limited precedential value. But the reasoning does give us a strong steer as to the approach the English court is likely to take to the property question. And in short, Mr Justice Bryan commended and adopted the analysis in the legal statement uh, to the effect that bitcoins could be treated and should be treated as property, uh, largely for the reasons uh, that we gave. And he granted an interim proprietary junction, making clear he was satisfied for the purposes of an interim proprietary junction uh, to conclude that the bitcoins uh, were property. Now, Mr Justice Bryan also referred to a number of earlier English decisions where interim relief had been granted over cryptocurrencies. Uh, none of those cases result in judgments that are as developed as Mr Justice Bryan's, so I don't consider them further, but if you want to get hold of their names, they're identified in that judgment. It's also then just worth mentioning uh, two, foreign, two other foreign decisions where cryptocurrencies have been recognised as, as property to, to some standard. Uh, there's a Singapore decision in a case I was involved in called B2C2 and Coin, 
uh, where there was some obiter comment suggesting that cryptocurrencies uh, should be treated as property, although that was uh, conceded by the parties. Uh, and there's a Canadian case, uh, shair.com, uh, in which a Canadian court accepted that cryptocurrencies could be property uh, without though providing uh, really detailed reasoning on that. But the thrust of all of this is that whilst we don't clearly have any English decision on point, uh, or at least a, a decision at trial on point, uh, all the indications and decisions uh, from English judges and from Commonwealth judges is that cryptocurrencies will be treated as property, uh, and that is clearly the right answer. My next topic is relief and remedies, and I can take this quite quickly um, because the truth is there's nothing special about the claims or injunctions that you would seek uh, to obtain in respect of cryptocurrencies. So where they've been misappropriated, you'll need to consider the usual medley of freezing injunctions, proprietary injunctions, uh, disclosure orders. Uh, it's true that you'll need to define the asset subject to the order very carefully, uh, although um, that, that's uh, abundantly possible. Uh, and it's likely that you'll need to seek relief against persons unknown because you very rarely know the identity of cyber fraudsters and also to seek alternative service. Uh, but this is all fairly run-of-the-mill stuff now. And again, with substantive claims, I don't really need to say anything specific to cryptocurrencies. You would bring all the same substantive claims that you bring in respect of any other piece of property uh, noting, of course, that intangible property can't currently, on, on the current state of the law, be subject to a claim uh, in conversion. So nothing particularly illuminating to say about uh, interim relief or, or remedies. Where is there some debate then? Well, this brings me on to my final topic, current issues. And I want to discuss three particular current issues in this field. The first is the effect of the transaction ledger, or the blockchain as it's sometimes called, on title to a cryptocurrency. It's argued in some places that the transaction ledger for a particular cryptocurrency operates like a record of title because it can't be changed by the court. Just distilling that further, the argument is that because of the cryptography used in blockchain technology, the court does not have the power to order changes to be made to the ledger because that requires 51% of the users to agree. Therefore, it is said, the blockchain is the complete code to who owns a particular cryptocurrency. It's definitive and it's unchangeable. Now that's nonsense. It would require, at the very least, a statute to create something like the land registry, whereby uh, the title register has legal effect. But the fact that the court uh, can't order a person to amend the blockchain is irrelevant because it can order a person to provide compensation for the effects of a transaction that's recorded on the blockchain. Now, this doesn't mean that the blockchain has no role in determining the ownership of a cryptocurrency. It does create an evidential presumption that the holder of a particular public key is the owner of the Bitcoin associated with that public address in accordance with the common law presumption that possession is evidence of title, see the Winkfield. And the effect of this presumption is that the person who is not in virtual possession has the burden of proving that they have better title than the person in virtual possession. So the transaction ledger, ledger or blockchain does have a role to play, but it's by no means the definitive record of title. The second current issue is quite tricky. It's the possible application of the Nemo Dats rule. You will know that the basic rule in relation to title in English law is that no one can give what they do not have. Or to put it differently, a person can only transfer such interests in an asset as they do have. 
And there's numerous exceptions to this rule, but to give a simple example, if a thief steals your gold bar and transfers or sells it to an innocent third party, um, you can still have a claim against the innocent third party to recover your gold bar. They could not obtain a title to the gold bar that's better than the title that the thief had. And it does not matter that the third party might be what is often called a bona fide or good faith purchaser of the gold bar. Now, one big exception to the Nemo debt rule is money. Money, because of its nature as currency, is treated differently from other types of personal property in that a bona fide purchaser for value, without notice of the relevant wrongdoing, will take free of previous legal interests as well as equitable interests. And the reason for that rule is fairly obvious. It preserves the, the free currency of money and the security of transactions that take place with money. And although there is some doubt, certainly the view of the authors of the key practitioners text is that money in this context includes not only tangible currency, so cash and coins, but also intangible money, such as money transferred by electronic funds transfer. So compared to gold, if someone steals your £10 note and it ends up in the hands of a third party, then that third party uh, will have a defence of good faith purchaser for value. And this is likely to make a really big difference uh, in the cryptocurrency sphere. And we need to ask ourselves, well, which side of the line do cryptocurrencies fall on? Are they treated like the gold bar or are they treated uh, like money, whether it's cash coins or, or, or intangible funds transfers? And this matters a lot with cryptocurrencies in particular because uh, very often the only option available to a victim of a cryptocurrency fraud will be to go after the third parties because of the ways that uh, uh, cryptocurrency fraudsters mask and conceal their identity. Um, you might be able to do clever things with disclosure orders and find out who your fraudsters are, but my experience is that the higher the value of the fraud, um, the better and more effective steps are taken to mask identity. So which side of the line do cryptocurrencies fall on? Are they to be treated like money or not? Well, here the answer isn't clear. There's all sorts of definitions as to what counts as money, and sometimes it depends on the purpose of the question and what the context is. The view taken by Charles Proctor in Man on the legal aspects of money is that the key to money is its ability to pass as currency, i.e. to be commonly and continuously accepted as payment in exchange for articles of commerce. This is consistent with the judgment of Mr Justice Best in the case called Wookie and Pohl, who said, by the use of money, the interchange of all other property is most readily accomplished. Uh, and these definitions led the FMLC in 2016 to conclude that, in their words, virtual currencies which have achieved status as a medium of exchange within a significant user community have a good claim to be regarded as money. Are we there then with cryptocurrencies? I think, yes, surely with Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, you can now buy a huge variety of things. In some communities, uh, they're widely recognised as a main or uh, a major article of exchange. Um, and because English law recognises foreign currency as money, see Camdex and Bank of Zambia, we don't have to simply confine ourselves to asking whether they're used as a medium of exchange in this jurisdiction. We can take a more global view. So there is a lot to be said for the idea that cryptocurrencies are should be treated as money. The difficulty is that there's some fairly big players against that view. So, for example, HMRC, the Bank of England, the FCA 
and the Treasury have all said in recent times that cryptocurrencies are not money. Um, and so there is some uncertainty here, and we don't really know whether the Nemo DAT rule applies, doesn't apply, what the exceptions are. Um, certainly, and I hope that this is a useful takeaway, if you're applying for any sort of ex parte relief regarding cryptocurrencies, um, this is a point that you will want to draw firmly to the attention of the court. The third and final area of current controversy is jurisdiction and choice of law. Um, insofar as jurisdiction is concerned, all I will say is, is the obvious point that given we're talking about intangible property that exists as part of a, in many cases, international system downloaded onto computers across the world, it's going to be complicated to work out where damage is suffered and where the events giving rise to damage occur. But that's a very fact-sensitive question uh, I'm sure will be fought out in uh, years to come. Uh, but a very specific and important choice of law issue um, that I want to address arises in respect of cryptocurrencies and um, in particular choice of law in respect of the proprietary effects of a transfer of cryptocurrency. And this is relevant when you're considering obtaining a proprietary injunction. It's always necessary to step back and ask, well, why is an English proprietary injunction being sought at all? Why are you looking at English law concepts of property? The question really is, what law governs the proprietary effects of a transfer of a cryptocurrency? And the answer to this question is not clear. The best suggestion that I have seen is Andrew Dickinson's, um, which is to treat cryptocurrencies like goodwill. Goodwill is a piece of intangible property that English law treats as being located for the purpose of determining its lexitis, that the place that, it, that it's located at it exists. Um, it's treated, the lexitis is treated as being the country uh, of the premises of the business to which the goodwill is attached. See Dicea Morris at 2250. And so applying the same rule, cryptocurrencies, it can be said, uh, attach and exist at the place of business of the relevant company uh, or domicile of the individual concerned. And this gives us a very workable rule um, that makes good sense, uh, both as a matter of, sort of pragmatism uh, and principle. But it will be necessary then to ask, if you're thinking about obtaining a proprietary injunction, well, um, does English law apply at all to um, the transfer that has occurred to uh, this particular cryptocurrency? I think now I'm in danger of straying from my remit of uh, what you need to know. Uh, I hope that you found this podcast to be a useful introduction to this field. And if you have any questions, um, I'd be delighted, to be delighted to answer them or to discuss this topic further. Please feel free to email me at sgoodman at 20essex. That's the words 20essex.com. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening.